Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Taylor Rapp, former Washington Husky defensive back, and you are tuned in to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Talking, oh no, Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. I read the wrong thing. Byron Maxwell number. Byron Maxwell is criminally underrated in Seahawks history, but he should be known as an important member of the Legion of Boom. Regardless, I am one of your co-hosts. Uh, I don't know if it's co-hosts since we have three of us or... Whatever. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Hammock. I have Bennett Omari here with me here today. We have a full cast. Hello, my friends. Hello. And Carrie Bonnerly. Williams should also be regarded as one of the most important. Members. Who did you say? Carrie Williams. I should put you in the fucking waiting room right now. <laughs> All right. I got a lot of energy today. I don't know why. Bennett does not. We're early today. Um, yeah, we're recording a lot earlier than, well, not a lot earlier, but no earlier than normal. Today, we have the Seahawks season in review for you. Uh, there are some not exactly exciting Sounders uh, moves, and uh, I mean, there's not too much outside of that. I mean, we're kind of hitting this awkward point in like, I mean, unless the Seahawks were in the playoffs still, which they're not, uh, this like January to March even January, even to like mid February is always like, what do we do now? Um, so I, th- I think that'll change uh, once we get our Sonics back as well as with this hockey team uh, should be coming next year. But outside of that, for now, the time being, we just have to suffer. Um, so we've got several different categories for you here for our season in review, little um, uh, program, I guess you could say. Uh, we have Game of the Year, MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Best Acquisition, uh, Fan Favorite, and by Fan Favorite, I mean Fan Favorite Player, uh, Moment of the Year, Lowest Point of the Year, What You're Excited About Next Year, What You're Not Excited About Next Year, Who Will Turn Heads in 2021, and then Dream Edition. I, I kind of screwed up here. Uh, I should have clarified it. I talked to Omari about it a little bit. Uh, what I meant by Dream Edition was Dream Free Agent edition but uh-huh. we'll roll with this and then uh next week when i roll out when we roll out uh, off season sort of uh uh free agents and who to resign i think i'll add that in there so that's on me i did a, <sighs> i need i did a goof uh so don't when uh when we get to that and you hear some guys who aren't free agents you know i don't want to hear anybody get crucified but let's let's get started let's get to game of the year uh bennett and i had the same one for this one so mari uh, let me hear what your thoughts were about why you picked the win over Dallas as your game of the year. Uh, we really saw Russ cook, and I always enjoy that. I think he had, what, five touchdowns that game, all of them passing? And he could have had – I think he could have had six, but DK did an oopsie. That's yeah. true. So I just think we really saw Russ perform, and it's like that That was good to see, especially since it's not like – it's not like we're the Chiefs where we get to see Patrick Mahomes go off every single game, so it's whatever. It's like that was a beautiful moment for me to Except see. Except for his last game where he did an ouchie on his head. And they still won. But and they still won. And that's because we didn't have that rest that we had that week when we beat the Cowboys. Yeah, that game, I think these games were – yeah, these games were back-to-back that we picked. Um, Bennett and I picked the win over the Patriots. Um and this, this was a kind of a wild time because, I mean, I think we were still sort of getting used to this whole letting Russ cook thing. Uh, and we were still dealing with the defense uh, being how they were in that first half. So, uh, Bennett, why did you pick the Patriots? And then I'll, I'll, I'll go in a little bit, but you might uh, cover the same points that I might uh, get into here. Um, I think it was just, it was an, uh, for me, a classic Seahawks win in the, in the way that you actually want it to be. Um, 
I think what was that? That was like either week two. Yeah, it was week two, yep. thirty-five yeah. to thirty. Um, we see Russell do what he does. I mean, that's another game he threw five touchdowns. Um, where he was really hitting that streak, where he was throwing four plus touchdowns a game against Atlanta, then the Patriots, then the Cowboys, and then I think he starts to slow down against the Dolphins. Um, but I think you look at him. Take on Stephon Gilmore with DK Metcalf, and DK Metcalf takes that challenge and runs with it, gets 92 yards um, and a touchdown off of four receptions. Um, Tyler Lockett has a good day as well, 67 yards and a touchdown. Pretty much the ball distribution was also important to the game's victory. Uh, Carson and Moore, and to an extent, Freddie Swain were all involved in the passing game. And I think that's when you're going to see the Seahawks actually shine the most, even looking forward to next season. So to me, this was the exemplary game that made me get really excited because I thought, man, if we play this year, even if the defense doesn't really turn on the Jets, we have a good chance at making a deep run in the playoffs because we weren't giving up, I don't know, bills points of games um we still gave up 30 points but we gave up 30 points to cam newton on the patriots which at the time we thought was a really good thing yeah that uh <laughs> that kind of changed um i think you really hit it on the head i mean this i mean even with the dis- dis- uh, distribution this was a game that it was like you know because we saw the atlanta game and i mean at least for me going into that game i didn't really think atlanta was going to be anything too difficult at least um, but yeah, with the way that Cam Newton played and the way that we saw that all go down, I was like, wow. I mean, at least wasn't really happy with the defense. I mean, when you're letting Cam Newton kind of sit back there and Cam Newton necessarily hasn't ever been like a sit back and drop 400 yards on you type of guy. Right. But it, we were like, wow. You know, when, when we were in the off season and we were thinking about where Cam Newton might go. This that uh, can't, that sort of game was what I was worried about. I was like, ah, crap. Um, but yeah, now just to see DK sort of, I mean, he manhandled Gilmore. I mean, you can say that. Uh, I mean, he didn't have like 200 yards on him, but you know, for the the solid majority of the game, you could say he had his number. Uh, and Russ was doing his thing, uh, and then the, the, the culmination was the lovely goal line stand which always seems to get the heart pumping. Um, so that, that was just like, and I, I feel like you could with, with this game of the year, I think you could go with uh, either one, uh, the Dallas or the New England game. I think uh, Omari picked a good one too, um, because that one ended in uh, a defensive stand as well. So those, I don't know if it's good to have a game of the year in the second week, second and third weeks of the season, but you know, that's uh, that's how it rolled this year. Um, MVP, this one was sort of tough for me. Uh, you guys picked, we all picked offensive guys. Uh, I picked Russ just because, I mean, the, the first half of the year sort of gave me hope. And I think it, it, it's, it was really cool to see that. Russell so I mean I still took him that because I mean if I I took him there because if we don't have Russ this season you know we we in terms of value you know it's a whole different team but um Bennett 
with DK. Uh, I mean, DK having a career year in his second season. I mean, do you have uh, anything you want to add on to that? Um, sure. I think it's just because he's a guy who has such a high ceiling for right now. Um, you, you look at him as a player, you see that he's developing really nicely, and then you look at him as a person on your team, and you see him develop in that sense, too. You see him kind of get frustrated that he's not getting the ball that much. I'm not worried about that, but I could see how some people are. And I think it's actually a little silly for people to not be for people to be critical of that uh, and talk about how that's the weak spot, the mental spot of DK's game is where he struggles because he's frustrated because he knows he's a type of player that can get the team going. You look at the Eagles game last year in the playoffs, he's a centerpiece of the offense. And then all of a sudden your team's on fire. So DK Metcalf is a person you can build an offense around him and Russ. And I think he's, one of the brightest stars for the future of the team without a doubt. So this year we got to see him run just absolutely buck wild. I mean, he led the league in reception yards until his production started to fall off. Um, And then he also managed to, at the same time, build himself a league wide name as a rough and tumble receiver. So I think those two things you know, getting attention from Russell and taking a lot of yards um, per game and then building his own reputation as a wide receiver within the league, uh, going up against tough corners like Ramsey. He might have not had the best year against Ramsey, but he had a, he, he put up numbers that I'd say are the same as uh, someone like uh, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, so on and so forth. So he just, he, I think this year was a real prove it year for himself. He might not have been in like contract talks, but he was just, he definitely proved himself to be a valuable asset to the, to the team uh, now and going forwards. And something to note just with like the, the bond that they were building with him and Russ hanging out in off season. That's something that I don't know if it gets talked enough, about like in, in football in general, like uh, something that comes to mind is number 12 in Green Bay and his relationship when he had Jordan, Jordy Nelson, mm-hmm. their, their chemistry was off the charts. And you know, that that's gotta be something that's built over time. That's not something just like, you don't draft DK Metcalf and him and Russell are on the same page, you know, all the time. And he trusts him to get every ball. So it's uh, it was, it was really cool to sort of see, like, even in that go back to that New England game, to see some of the trust he had in, in the in the one touchdown catch that I'm thinking of, uh, where he just kind of launched it over Stephon Gilmore, who's who was a reigning defensive player of the year, uh, no slouch at all at corner. It's not like it's Kerry Williams. If you know Kerry Williams, you know why I'm saying that. Um, yeah, best member of the Legion of Boom. All right, we're kicking you out. Um, but it, it, it was, it's really cool to see them grow off the field as as uh, as their role as teammates, obviously on the field is as well as uh, off the field as friends. Um, and sort of see DK take that second step uh, was really cool to see. And Omari and I talked about it a little bit um, before we started this, but Tyler Lockett was his choice. And Omari, why did you pick him as your MVP? I would like to say, <clears throat> damn, I don't know where my voice went. Uh, I would like to 
kind of change my answer a little bit, I would like to say Tyler Lockett and Bobby Wagner, both for the same reasons, in that they were consistent at what they needed to do and got their jobs done. You know, they might not have been making all the big plays. Like Tyler might have been making all the big catches like DK was, but he did his job throughout the whole season. Same with Bobby and really like, you know, they're consistent. And I appreciate that because we did not see that from some players on the team. So, you know, that's also just important. So they're really MVPs to me. And he, I mean, he, yeah, no, I think it's just incredible when I was setting this up and it'll get talked about a little bit here as we move on, but just Bobby's production year in and year out, just re- fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's uh, sometimes you do have to really sit back and say, Hey, we're watching a hall of famer here. Uh, we're going to stick with the offensive side of the ball uh, with offensive player of the year. Um, ben and I picked DK, even though DK was half of Bennett's answer. Um, and we already, what the heck, we already kind of talked about it, but um, yeah, just to sort of see him grow and just, just to see what he can do as a, as a football player is kind of amazing. And just to think that he's only in the second year and the way he sort of made himself a household name and to hit, for him to be someone who seems to be a, a favorite around the league. Uh, not, 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 not for everybody. Um, I do see some people who are upset that he gets the attention he does, but uh, it's, it's really cool to see the comparisons he draws and uh, just how he's growing in his game and off the field as a person. Um so I picked DK Bennett, picked DK and Tyler Lockett, and Omari picked Tyler Lockett. Do either of you want to elaborate on your answers there? I think, I don't know, Tyler Lockett is just, like Omari said, he's just that type of guy that gets a job done and he does it really humbly. I also say he's just been a centerpiece of our offense for multiple years, and to see him finally have a wide receiver that he can line up uh, opposite of that can elevate his game much like Doug Baldwin did, but also allow him to match that instead of detract from that. I think when Doug Baldwin was still around, Tyler Lockett almost became an afterthought because of how much Russ had that connection on the field only, really. But um, now we get to see Tyler have somebody that he can also act as a mentor too. So I think that's really important um, because not only is he coming into his own as a veteran player, but he's also coming into his own as a veteran teammate, uh, which is an important difference because, you know, he can, he can guide DK the same way that Doug Baldwin guided him. So it's cool to see that continue. I'd also say, he came in the clutch when he needed to. He did really well in that Cardinals game. We lost uh, three touchdowns Yeah, in a game we really should have won. We were one false start away from winning that game. And then uh, that game against the Niners where he got two touchdowns and 90-some-odd um, yards, another Tyler Lockett classic game. So he had two of his like best games this season, and he's in his – I wouldn't say his twilight years because we're not seeing him retire anytime soon. We're seeing him – uh, really hit his veteran stride. So I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, and I remember how he 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 took uh, returning roles and he's sort of gone away from that and just uh, been more of a pure receiver. And I'll say my dad called it. I remember that Broncos game the year after we won the Super Bowl, uh, the preseason game, Tyler Lockett had a return touchdown 
And my dad was like, that guy's going to be something special. And I was like, oh, please, Papa. He is just a return specialist. <laughs> oh, please. And then he became our number one receiver in two years. So there you go. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, he was always a guy I was like, oh, because uh, I mean, obviously, a return, you got to be pretty fast. But he he's somebody that I mean, we've seen it throughout his career, who's able to take the hits uh, and be able to be a possession guy as well. Um, and even in that 49ers game in week 17, uh, despite the touchdowns, I mean, a lot of his plays that I remember seeing were a lot of, you know, just trusty go go and get the first down uh, or just get him the ball and he'll he'll he's somebody that, you know, you can kind of trust. Um, so it, it's been really cool to see Tyler uh, just go from a guy that, well, I guess we thought was a return guy when we first drafted him 69th overall from Kansas state um, and just to sort of see him grow. And to, I don't know, it's kind of weird to think of him as a mentor to DK, but it makes sense. I, mean, I don't know. Just when I think of DK, you know, big, <laughs> big dog guy. And then you think of Tyler, I don't know. That's how it works in my head. But uh, Omar, did you have anything to add on to that? As uh, Tyler Lockett is your offensive player of the year? Uh, No, actually not really. Just he's consistent. He's, yeah, yeah. The like really, consistency. In the NFL, consistency is actually a lot. That means a lot because even some great players aren't consistent, and that's a problem. Yeah, I. that's actually a really good way to sum it up. He's like Mr. Consistency, honestly. You look at some of the other wide receiver stars. Adam Thielen is a good example of it, honestly. Yeah. Because um, some seasons he just disappears. And I know that's because Stephon Diggs was – coming into his own last year but even this year he's not he didn't exactly put up the greatest numbers and that's because he's playing second fiddle to justin jefferson uh but he's a guy you'd expect to have better numbers yeah it almost go ahead i was just gonna say he's also i don't know i was about to say he's getting in his twilight years but not really not really not really i mean like i think he's 28 yeah, he's still got a few more seasons in him. <laughs> yeah, he's well, 30. Okay, he is pretty old. But <laughs> he he's, you know, he's a pro bowler within recent memory. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just interesting. You'd think that, I mean, obviously, I mean, Justin Jefferson kind of established himself early on through this season. It's not like he just blew up at the end of the year. Yeah. You'd think, you know, as teams paid attention to him, you'd get Adam Thielen more looks, but I don't know if that's a product of him or Kirk Cousins or their offense, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, just Tyler's consistency, his cons- career, I mean, from – I mean, obviously, I think one of the biggest plays of last year was his catch against the Rams in the highlighter uniforms that everybody was talking about, how did he catch the damn ball? And I remember being in the stadium, I was like, hmm. You know, I was like, wow, I didn't really know what to say. So he's okay, to be fair, let's just point this out. Adam Zeland did have a career year this year in terms of touchdowns. Oh, oh well, touchdowns. Well, I remember LeGarrette Blunt, led, LeGarrette Blunt led the league in touchdowns one year and he didn't have that many yards rushing. So, I mean, touchdowns are an iffy and iffy stat sometimes depending on situation. But I mean, I don't think that's a bad comparison. I mean, well, a bad example in Adam Thielen. Uh Defensive side of the ball, there's no disagreement here. We all thought Bobby Wagner was our defensive player of the year. Um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it's really incredible, at least to me, um, 
to just see Bobby year in and year out. And obviously last year with going into more base, uh, more base defense, there was some, oh, Bobby is in a down year. And he even, I mean, he, I think he led the league in tackles. So, you know, um, coverage is always kind of difficult to pin on the linebacker, especially if you're in zone because of how many things cross over the middle. Um, but I mean, uh, Bobby Wagner does Bobby Wagner things and there's, you it's know, true, he does. I, I, you know, I can't say it any other way than that. He just comes in and he's a tackle machine and he's a leader on and off the field and he performs, he performs. So, uh, any words on our Lord and savior number 54 in the middle? Uh, Seahawks legend, hall of famer. He's a guy that, I mean, undisputed best linebacker in the league for multiple years. You couldn't, I don't think you could make a strong case for anybody definitely better than him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could, you could throw a couple names out there and say, Oh, well they're, they're equivalent or, Oh, this guy's an up and comer who can end up being like Bobby. You're not going to, you're not going to convince me somebody's better than him right now. At least. I mean, you got guys in the AFC who are kind of starting to blow up a little bit. TJ Watt and so on and so forth. But no middle linebacker. I think even TJ Watts, uh, an outside linebacker. So different positions. So you can't, you're not going to show me anybody who's better than him right now. You're not going to show me anybody from the last five years who's better than him right now. Um, So he's, he's like the consummate Seattle Pete Carroll Seahawk because he's a big run stuffer. He's the, big old body block in the middle that you want. And I wouldn't rather have anybody else coaching up Jordan Brooks. I think it's just really important that Bobby's on the team right now, because just like how Tyler's somebody who's coming into his veterancy. I mean, uh, Bobby Wagner has been for now, at least eight years in the league. So that's him showing off that he has some, you know, withstandfulness, that's not a word, but like he can stay in the league and he can do his thing. And I think he's just, he's showing that now that he can take on this veteran role, he can be a light, like a guiding light for these new players. And I think with Jordan Brooks coming into the mix, who's supposed to be potential successor for guys like him and KJ, uh, it's good that we have both those guys on our team um, to, to guide him basically. Omar, do you have anything to add on to uh, Sir Bennett? Honestly, you guys summed it up pretty well. Uh, I'll just say it again. Bobby Wagner is amazing. And, uh, you know, hopefully we have a few more seasons out of him. But if they if his career does come to an end, I really do hope it's with the Seahawks because he really has been so good to us, and I wouldn't want to, like, see him in any other color. Yeah, I don't – I really don't think they let him go anywhere. I think it would be a foolish mistake to let – him and his career anywhere else. Um, I don't know. He's wasting his years like this. He might get kind of mad. <laughs> yeah, well, and then a thing with Bobby, too, is, I mean, not directly related to that, but I think there was one year we had to rely on, I think one year, I don't remember who filled in for him. I think it was Brock Coyle. God damn. Uh, Bobby Wagner's out for a few games, and Brock Coyle had to step in, and, ooh, God, it was terrible to see somebody not named Bobby Wagner be in there. Uh, just because of how the defense looked without him. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I think it's an agreement here that we could all say we're Bobby Wagner diehards. Uh, best acquisition. We had three different names for this, and this I, I have no disagreements with uh, either choice that um, Bennett or Amari picked. I went with just I just I went with Jamal Adams uh, for a number of uh, reasons, from just because Bradley McDougald at that strong safety position, he was solid. I mean, he was like average, but. I mean, having Jamal Adams bring the pass rush, uh, bash rush uh, aspect of his game, as well as just his sort of energy in general, um, just to add to that locker room is really something that I thought was important. Um, and obviously, I mean, if you give away two first round picks for a guy, it's pretty important. Um, and it's, I, I really hope they get an extension done. But overall, I think he's he's somebody that, it'll be really exciting to see him be a Seahawk for hopefully a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I said, looking at the guys that these guys picked, I have no issue with either of them. I think they're both, there were some pretty solid acquisitions uh, this season. Um, so I'll, I'll let, uh, since we're, I, I always do it alphabetically, um, even though I went ahead first. Um, awesome. So Bennett, DJ Reed, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that, that 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 is exciting to me because it's not necessarily what you'd thought you'd need at the start of the season because, you know, we had Quinton Dunbar and we had Shaq Griffin, who we all were really hoping would turn it around. Yeah. Um, and who we've seen turn around. And then we had, uh, who's our slot guy? Marquise Blair. Yeah. Uh, we had Marquise Blair, who was, I mean, obviously coming into his own uh, before he done diddly hurt himself. So you got all three of those players who are all very promising. And then you start to see them either drop like flies from injury, Quentin Dunbar and Marquise Blair, or just kind of stink it up this year. So to have DJ Reed come in and start playing like he did was fantastic. Because you look at what our corners, like what, you look like what we need from our corners and we kind of see these rough and tumble guys and i think dj reed plays into that but he can also play into that corner who's sneaky like and fast and can play coverage under and get some picks or get some to pass deflections while not necessarily botting up his man uh and play some really sound corner um in the deep game as well and he can also prowl the middle of the field so he's just he's got a lot of different qualities that you'd want from a corner and we got him for basically we, we got him we did get him for nothing he was a free agent. We just kind of grabbed him. Um, and also just to have that huge chip on your shoulder against the 49ers. I mean, we like that because we don't like the Niners. And we just like we like everything about DJ Reed here, I think. So to me, looking forwards, he is a really good acquisition because we saw his effect, much like Carlos Dunlap, immediately. He came on and immediately we were like, wow, that is a significant difference on our defense. And if you look at it, when our defense really starts to turn around is when he's playing opposite of Shaq or in place of Shaq. So uh, he's kind of looking like an option to be our guy at the corner's position moving forwards. And I think that to me is a lot more exciting than Jamal Adams because Jamal Adams is irreplaceable, but also... You know, the way he plays, you won't feel that impact as much as you feel the impact of a bad corner. Mm. Um, I, and I get that. Carlos Dunlap, in much in the same way, 
you will feel that impact of not exactly having the greatest pass rush, but you're not going to feel it as much as you have, uh, as much as you feel having a bad corner. Because if you, when you start getting a team that lobs it downfield every time because they know they can beat your corner, you're in a bad position. Uh, hey, that's what it looked like when we had Griffin and, uh, oh my God, I can't even remember his name, Trey Flowers out there. Um, Trey Flowers, who I guess, I mean, he actually ended up being okay this season. I don't know how they turned him around. Uh, I'll be the first to say... They let him hear what you said about him, Bennett. I know, they played this podcast. They're like, hey, Trey. There's this guy. He really doesn't like you. Especially this out-of-shape Asian kid. (laughs) Like, really doesn't like you. And Trey was like, man, I really want this out-of-shape little Asian kid to like me. He made you, Uh, he wanted to make you a believer. And I don't know if I'm a believer yet, but I will say wow. that he turned. He did turn it around. Trey Flowers for his Venice season coming up. He did turn it around. He played a lot better, so now I don't think he'll get cut. But anyways, that's why I like um, the DJ Reed acquisition so much. And Omari with our lovely trade from Cincinnati and Carlos Dunlap. Honestly, the thing about Carlos Dunlap for me is like, I think anybody could have filled his position. Like, there's a lot of people that we could have got to fill in where he is. So I wouldn't say, like, his pickup was as valuable as, a, like, Bennett was talking. But it's the fact that we lost to Davion Clowney, and we knew there was going to be a hole there. <laughs> we knew there was going to be a hole there. And how many – what week did he come in? He came in the week of the Arizona game, right? Uh, I think it was – I thought it was the – Yeah, it was the Arizona game because – Yeah, he got Oh, the yeah, it was the second yeah. Arizona game. Yeah, it was the second. Well, he year. was in the Bills game too, right? Less important because <laughs> sad game, sad game. We lost. We lost. We don't talk about that way. But it's like I knew we were gonna have that hole in our defense as soon as Jadavion and Clowney left, and I was wondering how they're gonna fill that. It sucks that they took so long to fill that, but I'm glad he came in and filled that, and we saw immediate production, and he was good. He 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 was a part of a reason why we won that Arizona game, and. That was a really crucial game. Mm-hmm. And I think he's someone we can keep on for a while to hopefully continue filling that hole that was left by Jadavion Clowney because he was a real aggressive force on that line. And we immediately saw the side effects of not re-signing him. He was expensive, though, so totally understandable why he didn't. But I feel like Carlos Dunlap has really been good for this team, and I feel like we definitely needed him when we got him. He wasn't enough to fully bring the team together. Honestly, that was more of an offensive issues, But – he was definitely a key piece to some of uh, just how we played in the second half of the season after we got him. Like he was definitely a good piece to have, even though we started losing a lot more in the second half of the season, but it wasn't the defense's fault. So, yeah. And with, with all the three of those guys, at least from what I've seen, they all seem to like being here. And I don't know how important that is to people, but I, I think it's important just to see. Super important. Uh, yeah. Well, some people go, Oh, you know, I mean, I think it's really important when guys say they like being a Seattle Seahawk, they like the organization. And I think that, you know, that helps when it comes to negotiations, but, you know, I'm not obviously their agent or them. Uh, fan favorites. This, uh, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with either of the uh, picks that these guys went with, but I went with uh, the lovable D-tackle, Puna Ford, uh, all <laughs> the five, five ten, uh, however many pounds and his long arms. Uh, I th- I think Puna's great, and I think uh, outside of just him being a nice little fella, um, I shouldn't say nice, a little fella. I mean, we're like the same height. Um, 
he he had a pass rush aspect to his game and he really he's somebody that when we got him from texas i was excited about out of the draft i think he was i don't remember he was drafted but he was somebody that didn't necessarily get a ton of attention coming out of the draft um and i was like i was i was interested to see what he did and uh i mean all 511 310 pounds of him uh I remember he had he was an undrafted rookie and he had heart issues at the combine and that was a reason he didn't get drafted. Uh, so I think he's kind of been a steal. Um, and I, I I don't know I think Puna's great. So uh, Bennett Jamal Adams uh, reason for fan favorite. Well, I mean I think you see him come in and immediately meld with the culture of the Seahawks, and. I mean, we watch him have those cigars. We watch him get super hyped. We're going to playoffs, even though the rest of the team is kind of bothered by how they played. Uh, and I think he's truly a guy that likes being here. And I think he's truly a guy that likes uh, being a part of organization. And I think that that, that to me, is indicative of, um, of a person that I'd like to see stay on our team. And I think... Fan wise, I think a lot of people really fell into the magnetism that he brings as a person, like a personality. Uh, so I hope he stays with us. I know people are like, oh, he's just a ring chaser. He'll go wherever he can have the opportunity to win a bunch of games. But um, I hope that's not true. I hope he stays with us. And I think a lot of us are in the same boat where we say that he's the type of guy that fits into our scheme perfectly. So I just, I hope he stays around. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the thing is I remember that was the thing. It's like, Oh, he just wanted to go out. He he'll, you know, blah, blah, blah. He seems to be built. He seems to be bought in. And I think he just needed to see a change of scenery from New York. And I'm sure a lot of the people on that Jets team could do the change of scenery. So, you know, Uh, and then Omari with DK Metcalf, I think it's, that has become el- uh, evident, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, I think I understood, like, the question wrong. Because I thought fan favorite. I was like, well, don't we all just love DK? <laughs> well, no, I think that's right. That's kind of why I was like Puna Ford. I was like, yeah, this guy, this, this is my kind of guy. Um, but yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. I don't know. He's brought a new young energy to the team, which is always nice. Like, I feel like if we were in, like, I feel like the Seahawks would play different if we had fans, because I know DK brought, like, a new, like, he brought, like, another, like, Seahawks fans usually, we usually love our players, so he's just another, like, lovable Seahawk for us. So, mm-hmm. it's just the energy that he brings. Yeah, he fucked up one time with the, earlier in the season, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I just, DK's fun to watch play. Fun to watch play. Yeah, no, DK's fun to watch. And he brings an ex- exciting just like energy to the game. When we see him and Russ make plays, they got a good connection. It's just, I don't know. He's just like, he's not one of my favorite players, but he's definitely in something I enjoy watching on the Seahawks. So I figured he would be a fan favorite. Do you want me to get you one of his uh, pacifier mouth guards for Christmas? No. no not <laughs> oh, okay, well, I'll get Ben at one. Jersey. Um, moment of the year. We're gonna keep talking about DK. So if you don't like DK, get out. Um, I had a different one than you guys. I had his game-winning catch against the Vikings. I thought that was another lovely game where they get the heart pounding. Uh, it was really cool to see because I believe in the play before on third down he had caught a pass, and 
but it got jarred out, so it didn't count. Um, and this this was an ugly game. I mean, throughout, uh, I think I uh, I don't think I fell asleep for this game. Uh, uh, but it was, it was ugly. I mean, just from I think this was going in the bye week, right? Uh, yeah, because I believe the Arizona game was after the bye week. Um, and it was just like, wow, what happened uh, after we've had to play Minnesota for what feels like the third year in a row uh, at home on primetime? Uh, just to see him be somebody that you can obviously count on in the clutch uh, was pretty cool. Um, after after a really ugly first half. So I will let you two tell us about your moment of the year, uh, the same one that you guys both agreed on. All right, let's just think about this. How often do you see a wide receiver go from one one side of the field all the way to the other side of the field to, like, stop a pick six? <laughs> like, it's just like, that's one of those plays where I just rewatch. There's two plays from the season I rewatch. It's the D-hop catch that he had on the Bills and DK, DK chasing down Buda Baker because it's just like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? Like, how does that, like, what? How do you, like, there's no words to explain. Like, this is that was just crazy to see. Like, I feel like we're not going to see that again. Like, that's not something you see every day. Like, unless it's Tyreek Hill. But not the point. It's not something you see that often. Like, it was really just crazy to see. I, I 100% agree. That is why I liked the play so much. Because it was just significant. Um, significantly different than we've seen any wide receiver do i don't think you can even put a tyree kill moment out there that is similar to this uh he's had some really speed racer moments but dk did it at a point where he like really needed to and the seahawks really needed to we didn't win the game but oh my goodness what a crazy moment craziness to 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 chase down buddha baker who's no slump in speed People tried to immediately compare him to other players and be like, "Well, it wasn't impressive when the, when this guy when this guy did it. It wasn't as impressive when this." Shut up, shut up. And then somebody else did a chase down tackle later, and they're like, "Better than DK." Shut up. That was a linebacker. But think about what DK was doing at his size. Like, sure, yeah. Tyreek Hill could do that, but like, look at DK's size and what he was able to do right there. That's why it's just like how, because like Tyreek Hill is like, okay, he's small, he's pretty light. That makes sense. But DK, it's like how? Yeah, how do you do that? The only time you're going to get me to to be like surprised by something like that is when um when a quarterback does it. If a quarterback chases down someone like that and tackles, I'll be like, "All right, maybe that's better than maybe that's better than DK." Mhm. Mark could have done it. He just had bad pursuit cuz he tried to attack he should if he would have gone upfield beforehand, he could have got it. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to um... say. I think Omari kind of hit it on the head and that's what to even go back to him as a whole outside of this moment, DK's size and his speed is just a whole different thing um, to think about and to see him be able to use both of those is something that I hope whoever the next offensive coordinator is, is able to use because he's not just a guy you can chuck the ball up and hope he comes down with it. He has speed. So, you know, uh, we're going to get into a sad part here. Lowest point of the year. Um, Omari and I both had the same game. Bennett, do you want to talk about uh, why you had the loss to the uh, in the first game against the Rams in LA as your choice here? That was the decline of the season. Honestly, that was the Russell's not as good as we thought he was this year. That was him 
quickly falling down the chain of quarterbacks for MVP uh, through a pick six. I think it was just, it was a mess of a game. And if you wanted to point towards what tipped us off to this, uh, the wild card exit for the Seahawks, I would have said, yep. I would say that week 10 loss to the Rams is exactly that. Russell went uh, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and a complete, just abysmal performance otherwise. Uh, sorry about the dogs. Um, it just complete implosion of his quarterback play. And that to me continued on from there on out throughout the rest of the season. He just, I don't think he ever recovered from that game as a whole. We saw him like play out in that Bills game. He had two interceptions, but he also had two touchdowns. And you could have excused the Bills game as, oh, well, we didn't really have any running backs. Um, but Alex Collins didn't have the best day on the ground. Didn't really matter because we started to see Russell completely choke away some games. So uh, that to me was the lowest point of the year. Um, yeah, that game, I think I think I can agree with that. Uh, simply because I think the one the one play that sticks out to me about that game is Russell rolling out right. Uh, and he's got Will Disley on that weird little wheel route, which the, they ran that play a couple times, I think, later in the year. Um, but he's he's got about 20, 15 to 20 yards to run, and he just chucks it to Will Disley trying to make a play. And I remember that was the thing that was like, oh, is Russell trying to do too much? And it, that's that game, I think late in that game, is sort of when the defense started turning around. And we saw, we saw one unit sort of improving and one unit uh, regressing. So that's uh that's 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 one to pick, uh, and I'm I'm sure you could you could agree with that. I I took the loss of the Giants. The reason I picked it was solely because, uh, I think seeding was still in play in that one, and you could pick a couple games where seeding was still in play. Um, but I was like, okay, in my uh, in my little projected uh, outcome of the season. Um, which I started, I think, after the Cardinals loss. That stretch, um, after the second Cardinals game to the end of the year, you needed to win basically every single game if you wanted to win the division just because of how close it was with the Rams. Uh, and at one point, the Cardinals, which they, they fell off. Um, and if you wanted to have any chance of a one seed, which I think is important and is something you should strive for any season, Um I don't like the whole idea. Oh, if we get this seed, we can play a lower team. It's like, if you play the lower team and win, you still have to play a good team. It, you know, it doesn't change it. Yeah. Um, but it just, the, the, how, how ugly both, how ugly the offense looked, uh, not being able to do anything, how they were playing against Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris, which, I mean, we could go back to the mid 2000s. Not, well, mid 2000s for Colt McCoy, maybe. But early, like the RG3 days of the Washington football team and Alfred Morris was good, you know. Um, it, it, I mean, and the offense did a, the defense did a good job for like the first half, but then that third quarter when they just let the Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris just run all over them, it, it was it it was just demoralizing. I think Omari and I talked about it a little bit before we started recording here. Uh, it was just no part of that game was fun to watch. It was just ugly, and it was it it was frustrating to me. At that point, I was like you know, they're going to have to do a lot and get some luck in order to have any sort of chance at that one seed because of the different seeding this year. 
Um, and it, I don't know. It just looked ugly to me. Omari? I was disgusted. I was sick. I just remember watching this game. And I was like, wow, this is really our team right now. Like, I know we're better than this. And we just didn't play like it. And that's the part that had me, you know, it, I was just disappointed. Like, and it's just like, why? I shouldn't, like. I would like to be a team that's not worried. I remember we were texting. It's like, okay, the Seahawks are kind of losing. It's okay. We'll come back in the second half. Like, no, I don't want that problem. I don't. I want to be able to watch a game. You know, like our team can be consistent enough and win. And this is a game where I was like, fuck, are we really just, <laughs> are we really that team now? Like, are we that, that close to being at an age of rebuilding? Like, can we not win with what we have? Because I know we have the pieces, which is the, also the thing that made me mad too. Is like, we have no reason not to be successful. We are a good team where we should be able to beat the Giants with a second string quarterback and running back. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they got a good offensive line, but come on, guys. We should be able to get past that. We should be able to we should be able to get something going. And we just didn't. Like we didn't find no rhythm throughout that whole game. And it was just utterly disgusting to watch. <sighs> yeah, no. Seth. I think Omar hit it on the head. I was just disgusted by that game. We're going to get away from the dark times of the season and head to what you're excited about next year. Uh, you guys picked the same thing. I picked a player uh, that we've mentioned previously. His name got brought up once, but it, it technically counts. Uh, I'm excited to see more of Marquise Blair and what he can do. I mean, we saw him for like a game and a half, a game and a quarter. But I mean, even throughout training camp, and throughout the offseason, he he was the, the rest of the team was sort of excited to see what Marquise Blair could do in the nickel. And just with with the, the secondary, um, I know that Bennett's not a huge fan of Trey Flowers, but we get out the other guys of the secondary with um, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. And then you had Marquise Blair at that nickel position with whoever we see at both corner positions next year. Uh, I think that's exciting to see what he can add and, uh, he's a guy that can fly around and he can hit too. So um, I'm excited to see what Marquis Blair does next year uh, and hope that his recovery from surgery and his uh, leading up to training here gets good uh, and is all, all well there. Uh, you guys both picked new offensive coordinator and that's, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but why are you, uh, why would you say you're excited about it? Because I'm not going to say that right now. Why are you excited about it for next year? It means new aspects to the team and I honestly appreciate that a lot because it means we're about to see a change in how we approach situations because clearly we're not making the right choices and it's an offensive coordinator and you know we already have a setup offense right now where it's kind of predictable and we know what to expect so it'll be nice to just see a different head a different cook in the kitchen Mm. Bennett yeah I think that's pretty much where I am as well, but maybe with a little more pessimism, as you can tell with uh, what my least excited for next season is. Just because it could go really either way, and if we look at it in the positive, you know, you start to get excited because you could really find a guy who melds with Russell, and if you believe what Russell's saying about how he's really wants to be involved with who they're going to choose next, uh, you can kind of get excited about that, but at the same time, you have to hold your breath a little bit because Pete Carroll's also part of that choice. Um, so there's a good chance it's somebody who will completely destroy our offense and make it terrible. But if you want to look at the positives again, 
like Amari said, it's somebody who will provide a new look at the offense as a whole, and it'll provide a new, hopefully a new format for the offense to go about their games. And perhaps somebody who can blend the run with the pass in a more effective way than Schottenheimer uh, could have done. So I'm excited to see somebody of that caliber, hopefully moving in and changing how we go about things. That that's kind of what is uh, I think is important. Um, I think it's now obvious that Bennett's not excited about next year. Next category is that offensive coordinator. And I don't know if you would have said it, but uh, if you were, then I'm, I guess I'm just going to be speaking it for you, but something that's going to be important with this new offensive coordinator is seeing if he's if they're allowed to really run the offense that they want to instill and not having Peter Clay Carroll take over in the second half of the season and say, no, we need to do this. Um, it's really important that you don't get a yes man because if you get somebody who's just going to say, all right, let's just run the ball like Pete wants to, it's not necessarily a good thing. And I saw a comment that said, oh, Pete Carroll is the head coach. He should make all the decisions like that's not necessarily right all the time. I mean, the offensive coordinator is there to coordinate the offense. It's in his name, in the uh, occupation name, um, and he might know a thing or two more than a defense, a former defensive back coach and a defensive coach. You know, so it's it's. I think it's really important to see who they bring in one as the offensive coordinator and two to see how much control they have over that offense because uh, something that came out. I mean, something that Pete Carroll said from his own mouth, his gum-chewing, monarch-wearing, well, self, um, was that he he told he well he kind of said to sort of tone the offense down in the second half, and that's something that I think gets lost because everybody, well, not everybody, but people kind of lean towards oh Schottenheimer did this, and I was I was someone who said that too. I was like oh Schottenheimer really kind of collapsed, but I mean it came from the Pete Carroll show on seven ten ESPN Seattle that he, he himself, Pete Carroll, told, went and kind of said, hey, we need to get back to the run here uh, because he saw some of those turnovers, which uh, yeah, we saw how that affected the offense. Um, so if we're not excited about next year, uh, well, I'll let Bennett, what, 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 what's your, pes- what uh, if you want to add anything on to pessimism about uh, the OC job next year? I just think if you choose somebody like Adam Gase or like Nate Carroll, you just choose somebody who will end up being a yes man or somebody who's going to get the wrong potential out of the wrong people. Uh, then you go from a complete positive that could shape the season for the better to a complete negative, which could tank your season within the first seven games. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yes, man. No, we don't want a yes man. No, yes, man. Um, Amari brought up a really good point, and I, I mean, my mine just kind of blended in with that. I don't want to get into the whole we need to get back to establishing the run thing because if we get into giving whoever is running back one next year, don't have any certainty there necessarily. Uh, if we just go back to giving him like 80 carries, I, I'm not really going to be happy with that, and it, it, it will be a detriment to the team. Um Omari brought up expiring contracts for next year. And that's really important because if we take a look here uh, at 2022, because um, if we're not looking, um, you, you meant uh, the year after this one, right, Omari? Uh, 
pretty much both. Honestly, it's just it's a problem every year. But I feel like we're really at concern right now because of just how the team is playing. It's like we don't want to lose players because they want to win, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned the free agency crop with Tyler Lockett, and that free agency crop is Carlos Dunlap, Dwayne Brown, Tyler Lockett. Ron Reed, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Brandon Shell, Rasheem Green, Will Disley, DJ Reed, Trey Flowers, Michael Dixon, Jamarco Jones, Chance, Chance Warmack, and then the other players who were signed to futures contracts. Um, so, I mean, if you look at that list, it's a pretty important list. Um, that's the 2022 free agency class. But even with this one, uh, as we'll go into next week, there's some pretty important players that are going to have their contracts come up. And it's... Uh, it's going to be something to think about uh, with guys perhaps restructuring contracts um, and different extensions, uh, how important that'll be going into next year um, and beyond just because of guys like Tyler Lockett and Jamal Adams. And I'm hoping that this, this offseason we can see some guys extended so we don't have to worry about that. Omari, did you have anything you wanted to add on to that? Uh, no, not really, but uh... – also, I had a slight thought about uh, what's the situation with Josh Gordon. <laughs> that is suspended indefinitely, and that will be brought up a little bit later. Mm, all right, but then yeah, no, I have nothing else to bring up. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, that isn't pretty important though to look at um, what's going to happen with some of the contracts in the next few years. Uh, who will turn heads in twenty twenty one? Omari pick Omari and I pick the same guy. Bennett, I'm curious to see why you selected uh, DK Metcalf for that uh, category there. Uh, I think his ceiling, he doesn't have one right now. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can maintain this type of play. And if he does, I think that's when he'll start to enter the conversation of a substantial top five wide receiver. I think right now a lot of people are tentative to do that because he's again and he's in his second year so on and so forth um but if he if he does it three years in a row with that consistency then you have to start talking about him like he's a stefan diggs tyreek hill type of receiver because that means he'll be a threat every single year every single game uh so he has that potential to be an amazing piece for this team on offense. And I think it also connects back to who we end up having our OC being, but if used correctly, I think DK can turn heads even more than he did this year. Yeah, that makes sense to me just because I don't, I don't know. I keep about to saying it. He's, he's, he was in his second year, which is, I don't know. It's ridiculous to think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just something that, I keep going back to so uh, that is that makes sense to me. Uh, both Omari and I picked Jordan Brooks, uh, who he, he kind of came along more towards as we got through the season. Um, and I, I was interested at first. I was somebody who thought maybe a Patrick Queen would have been a pick there if you're going to go linebacker. But he's uh, after 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 the draft and after I actually looked about who this guy was and not wasn't judgmental. Uh, I was interested by this. Um, and he's just when I think about Jordan Brooks, I'm thinking about he's he was a guy that was fast and he can disrupt plays. And he's got two of the best linebackers in the league to learn from. So I think he's got he's got a lot of potential to grow here. Uh, Mari, your thoughts? Uh, no, pretty much the same thing as you, Chuck. He got a lot of potential. His 
we don't really know what we could get out of him, but I have a feeling it's going to be something good. You know, he had he's good linebackers, like you said, to teach him the ropes. And when you got talent he already has, the body he already has, the skill he already has, plus that wisdom that's going to get passed down, it's definitely going to be something dangerous. And I think we're going to really see that come to fruition this upcoming season because we didn't get to see a lot of him due to injuries and stuff. But, like, once he really gets to get going, you know, he got preseason to get ready, this whole offseason, you know, I want, once we get to the point where the season's starting, I feel like he's really going to come in and he's going to come in cracking skulls. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, – I think that that's pretty exciting to think about is because when – last year when we were in base defense for basically the entire damn season, I mean, Michael Kendricks is all right, but I, I knew he wasn't a guy to help us into the future, and he maybe wasn't – being in base all the time wasn't the greatest. With a guy like Jordan Brooks – uh, he's got the speed to sort of be, you know, to fly around and be an asset and coverage um, and rushing the passer and run stuffing. Uh, but he's a guy that, I mean, he's young and he can learn behind these guys. He doesn't have to necessarily play right away. Uh, he doesn't have to be there and fit a starting role at, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I, I don't know. As, as I've taken a look at the guy after maybe not being the most excited about the pick, um, I, I, he's grown on me, I guess I'd say. So this next category, these next two categories are where I goofed up, um, in dream edition. I should have clarified it more. Uh, I, I was, I meant free agents and I goofed up. So I will remove my answer just cause it doesn't make sense compared to next to these guys. <laughs> um, so, but it is a question that's always cool to think about, you know, if you, had the magic wand or something and you could add a, what a player on offense and defense who would you add uh on offense bennett picked mark andrews which is a solid addition i mean to have a, a top level probably top five top three top three i could say top three uh probably behind kelsey and kittle tight end and mark andrews a guy who is who plays in a run first offense but has a huge impact regardless um he could really add another level to this offense and Quentin Nelson for Omari. I think he, I don't know if he wanted to change that, but. Uh, no, I, add, I stand by that. Quentin Nelson. Yeah. I mean, a, a guard who's as, I mean, offensive linemen don't always get the attention necessarily and probably don't get a much attention at all sometimes. Uh, but he's a guy that, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how, where they'd put him just because I think he's a right guard and we've got Damian Lewis at right guard. But if you could have Damon Lewis and Quentin Nelson at your guards, I mean, I think you'd be pretty set at that interior line. Um, did you guys want to go into those your answers more on there? I just think Quentin Nelson is just an amazing player. And I know we already have a pretty good right guard. It's just like watching him play. It's like there's some people like you can just see his IQ mm. with his actions. You know, I didn't actually know about who he was until he got elected to the Pro, Pro Bowl because I saw that he was like the first person since Barry Sanders to be like, three years in a row from like since their rookie year or something like that. And I was like, who is this dude? And then I was watching, I'm like, he really knows how to play football, like at all levels of it. And it's just, you know, dream accusation, accusation. I feel like he'll be cool. Nice to have, you know, alignment I know can protect Russ. I know for sure. A hundred percent of the time. Bennett, your thoughts on my pick Mark Andrews. Yep. 
yeah, so Mark Andrews, I think one of the places that we really struggled with was blocking at the tight end position. Uh, we had three tight ends mainly rotate, Disley, Disley, Olsen, and uh, Hollister. Each of these guys had bad years. Uh, there's no real way around it. They didn't have years that they would write home about. They didn't have years that would be career years for any of them. And if they did, it was an afterthought because... I think tight end success is a really hard metric to follow, you know, because you got to follow blocking stats, which aren't really real. I mean, you can look at pancakes, I guess, but you have to look at blocking percentages and how much, how many pressures they give up and also um, how they do run blocking. I think none of our tight ends really ever set the edge enough for our running backs to get enough room. And I think Mark Andrews is kind of best of both worlds because he has some running run blocking experience down over there in uh, Baltimore. Um, he has some pass catching experience as well. And I think he's pretty much exactly everything the Seahawks would look for in an offensive lineman addition, because he can contribute to the passing game and the running game, both on blocking and receiving. So to me, he's a dream addition because he covers a lot of the bases that we are going to be looking at moving forwards. And he's also a red zone threat. So um, that'd be... It'd be a nice addition. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what they do next year with a tight end position, but uh, I mean, if we were able to add a guy like that, I think that would be he would be a pretty solid safety blanket for Russell if he needed someone to check down to or somebody that be sure-handed as well as somebody who could be who could get down on in a three-point stance and go and blow somebody up in the run game um, on defense. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Bennett, but um, for your pick, there was a so backstory. There was a Packers fan one day who disguised <laughs> himself as a Seahawks. I don't remember what his. It was on Reddit, and he didn't really have a. He had a very interesting name. I don't remember it specifically, but he was able to get on Seattle radio. Seattle sports radio was able to get this guy on because he had somehow leaked. Well, he was saying that there was a trade brewing for Miles Garrett to the Seattle Seahawks. So yeah, that was a wild saga. It it was debunked after he was on the radio that he was a Packers fan who was just upset that uh, we had won that NFC championship game a few years back and he was trying to get back at us. But uh, that was pretty funny. So Miles Garrett, uh, Seahawks legend, just kidding. Never really happened. But uh, for... Bennett's dream defensive acquisition. He selected Miles Garrett, who's, I mean, he's young, and he's a star defensive line defensive lineman. I um, mean, he's he's just a he's. A, I mean, I think he was ta he was close to the top in the league in sacks, and I mean, he's just a n- never a bad pick. Um, if you could add a guy to the defensive end position, do you have any thoughts on that and the lovely backstory there with Miles Garrett? Uh, I mean, that's kind of why he was on my radar for for this pick anyways, just because of how hyped I was for that um, possible addition. And I think that it just it made a lot of sense to me because we knew we needed help with the pass rush. We knew we needed someone to replace uh, Clowney. And just think about how attractive this is. Carlos Dunlap and Miles Garrett. I mean... That's pretty unstoppable, you guys. That's pretty badass to have. Would be pretty awesome to have those two guys on your team. So I think just 
that'd be really complimentary to each other. And he's also just an amazing player. Uh, and despite his whatever happened with him and uh, that quarterback from the Steelers, he seems like a genuinely Mason Rudolph. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I have my own theory on what happened there, and I have my own people that I believe about what happened there. <laughs> um, and, and if you know what's going on there, then you know who I believe by me saying I hope Miles Garrett would be on our team someday. Yeah, that would. Uh... See, I'm just gonna say that the Steelers attract interesting personalities at QB. Oh yeah, and yeah. Duck Hodges is my favorite one. So I'll let you figure out what I believe about the other two quarterbacks. Well, Duck Hodges is also my favorite. He's just a fun guy. Oh, Duck yeah. Hodges is just a fun dude. Yeah, I feel like he's everybody's favorite. I think that's. I know what to get you guys for your birthday then. Um, <laughs> please, Duck Hodges jersey, need it. And I'll get you one of those Ride the Ducks. Oh, do they still do the Ride the Ducks thing? Probably no, I think that's. I think they went bankrupt. Oof. Okay. Yeah. I'll go find one of the ones someone got me a long time ago, and I'll get you the little duck whistle thing. Uh, and Omari on defense originally had Miles Garrett, but he decided he wanted to change to Aaron Donald, which is not a bad pick. As much as I don't necessarily like him, uh, I do understand how uh, much of an impact he does make on the field and is sort of. Legacy as a, a player. I mean, it's it's you can't deny, you can't argue the facts. I just don't like him necessarily because he said some things and uh, you know, one reason why rivalry rivalry team. You know, so I, I I don't think that's a bad pick. I think you could take Aaron Donald on any team in this league and you put him on that defense and they would be they instantly be much better. You know, um, and I don't I really, I really don't think there's another. Because he's a defensive tackle. I've seen Madden puts him at a defensive end. Which is, I mean, he can play all the positions on the line, but he, uh, he's, he's normally a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just crazy to think that him as a, a D tackle is able to break through so many different double teams and even triple teams at times. Uh, and he just wrecks games. He's a game wrecker. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's never a bad choice. I mean – if if there's like a guy who I think, if you were able to like pick a guy to throw on your team, uh, on the defensive side, and I think he'd be a high on a lot of guys' lists. So uh, that's that's season interview. Um, overall, I mean, it's not a bad season, but I'm sure we had higher hopes for what would happen going on through the year. Um, but overall, I can't complain. Uh, but I think I think we can all agree that hopefully next year with the right higher offensive coordinator and with the right moves, we could see ourselves still in playoffs at this point in time in January 18th and hopefully longer. So um, we're going to get into our sort of standard uh, standard issues. Uh, injury news, never fun, but this is a good piece of information. Marquise Blair is expected to be ready for training camp following surgery for his ACL tear that he suffered back in week two Uh, team notes and around the league. uh, There are some interesting parts here. Franchise, the team extended general manager, John Schneider through the 2027 NFL draft uh, was someone that drew interest from the lions for their general manager job, but that got shut down. I mean, even after the report came out. So this just adds on to that. Uh, And over the week, the Seahawks and Brighton Schottenheimer parted ways after philosophical differences with Pete Carroll. I believe we already went through that. Uh, the Panthers interviewed 
VP of football operations, Scott Fitterer for the GM job on Wednesday, uh, offensive coordinator information. So this was, this has been a wild ride. I mean, and it's continued even up to today. Uh, Russell Wilson stated that he wanted to be part of the hiring process for this team's new offensive coordinator, as we've kind of already gotten through Friday, it was reported that former LA chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn was a candidate for this job, which was interesting because he was a, he's an interesting candidate uh, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, Saturday was reported that the team has spoken with former Eagles head coach, Doug Peterson about the job. Uh, but then the same day a report came out that he was unlikely that Peterson coached in the year of 2021. So not really sure what to believe there. CBS sports kind of confused me there. Thanks CBS. Um, and then today, on Monday, when we record this lovely podcast, uh, the team spoke with former Jets head coach Adam Gase about the offensive coordinator position. So three different former head coaches from last year being at least spoken to about the job. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's an important position, obviously. I mean, Russell shows that, the fact that he said he needed to be uh, on a decision there for who gets picked. Um, if, if you were hiring, all right, guys, and you had the decision and you could, you know, it doesn't matter money or anything. If you could just pick a guy to be the offensive coordinator, uh, it doesn't matter if they've already been talked about or mentioned, uh, current slate, obviously you can't go back in time and pick somebody, uh, you know, basically if you were in position right now, who would you bring in? Uh, for the offensive coordinator job? Uh, enemy. I don't think that's a bad choice. Amari? Mm, I don't know. I don't have them worth some time to think about it. I think I like for offensive coordinator. Yeah. I like the Bills offensive coordinator. What's his Dayball. name? Dayball. Yeah. Brian Dayball. Dayball and Eric Bianami. Both. Eric Bianami should be a head coach, by the way. Um, both incredible coordinators, despite the the talent they have, regardless of the talent they have, they get their guys in position to win games. So, I mean, both of them would be guys who would probably help this team win a Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think that's something that would be disagreed on. I don't think you guys would disagree with that. I think if we had a guy like them, he would, either of them would put our players in position to succeed and just use them correctly, use them to their talent. Um. I don't know if the team has thought about getting one of those guys. I think Dayball. I don't know if Dayball's. Dayball still has to worry about playoffs. He's in the FC Championship game, so yeah. so well, both of them are. Oops. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we could pick one of those guys, I would. I would be ecstatic. I would look at Super Bowl tickets. I don't know where the Super Bowl is next year, but I'd look at them. Um. So yeah, that's that's something that I mean. There's it's preliminary, but. I'm, I'm sure we'll sort of, I don't know. I don't know how uh, quick that'll be. Some teams have hired head coaches, uh, but there are some candidates that are still in the playoffs that are uh, being looked at for different jobs. So that'll be something to monitor as we continue on here. I mean, there's no timetable for somebody to be hired. Uh, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon got suspended again. Uh, he had his conditional reinstatement rescinded uh, and has been suspended indefinitely. Uh, so he, he can't, He's he's basically back to where he was early in the season. He can't be. It's 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 I don't know. It's that's just a really crap situation. Uh, just because 
my main gripe now is that part of his suspension is that he cannot be in the team facility. And I think that's difficult because if you want, if you're the NFL and if you, if you are saying you really want this guy to get better, he should be allowed in the facility and allowed to get help from the franchise. Um, but he's not able to do that right now. So I think that's difficult. Um, and that's just, I think that's just rough. I think that's terrible. And I think he sh- that should be changed because if you really want guys to get better, um, I think that the league has the tools to, uh, I think the league has the tools to help guys. I mean, with the money they make, and I think they should be able to get guys help. And I think just slapping them with a suspension all the time, isn't going to necessarily assist them with the different issues that they face. Um, did you, what do you guys think about that? I mean, with the whole not being able to be in the facility uh, while they're suspended for something like that. It's bullshit. It, it's like, it really makes no sense at all, especially when compared to other cases in the league. So like, it just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think that, that to me, that's the biggest point. Like, there are so many other players in this league who have had so many different issues that to me feel like bigger issues than smoking weed. You know what I mean? And we, we don't exactly know if he's continued to smoke weed or if they're hitting him for something else. There hasn't been reports, and that's also part of why the situation is stupid because they've just been so quiet about it and the team doesn't know anything either. Um, but you look at Antonio Brown, you even look at guys like Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt who were suspended for what, like six games for physical altercations. You look at Josh Gordon and it's like, there's a disconnect there. You know what I mean? And, uh, I just think it's a really poor excuse for league management to be so quiet about it and to not give a full explanation about it. It's just, it's embarrassing for them, I think. And it's disheartening if you're a Seahawks fan or a fan of Josh Gordon. Yeah, I mean, it's even, I mean, I see some things where it's like, oh, why can't this guy stay away from the weed or whatever? Addiction affects everybody differently. I mean, you can't just say, or something like that, you can't just say, oh, you're not trying this. You're not, you know, you're not getting better. It's, it's, his entire situation throughout his career has been something that the league really hasn't handled well. And it's just, I mean, it continues to happen. It continues, it continues to affect this guy's life. And I mean, with the proper help and, you know, if the league had taken better steps uh, when they first had issues with him, when he was on the Browns, Josh Brown, Josh Brown, not Josh Brown. We don't talk about Josh Brown, bad person. Um, Josh Gordon was, a top five receiver in his year, in his good years in Cleveland. Um, and just off, off, off the field. I mean, I mean, I'm sure his life has been affected because of these suspensions. So, you know, it's um, something the league needs to be better about. Um, NFL draft deadline has changed to March 1st. Four-year college players need to decide if they intend to enter the draft or return to school by that date. So I'm, you know, prior to March, uh, in the month, in the weeks leading up to that, you'll probably see a lot of decisions, or even before that, uh, about people, uh, players wanting to return, or guys uh, deciding that they want to declare for the draft. 
relating to the draft, uh, the league is expected to replace traditional combine format with a series of regional events due to the pandemic. Uh, there will be no in-person workouts at the combine. They will be held and conducted at their on-campus pro days, um, as well as having virtual interviews and testing all being uh, additions to the new format. Um, I don't know if uh, I'm wording this correctly or if I'm getting the, my question out correctly, but uh, it's something that's like this whole, this issue, ugh, this issue is something that I've thought about as this pandemic's been a you know thing and how it's affected uh, life in general, but like sports, how big of an impact will this pandemic have on the draft process and how these players are viewed? Because I mean, a lot of them, a lot of these players had a, a lot shorter seasons than some, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a pandemic, so I'm sure it's not, you know, it wasn't easy on anybody and just, I mean, the, the combine's not the same, their college seasons weren't the same. So, I mean, does, does that make sense? Does that question make sense? Not really. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know how exactly to answer it comprehensively. Um, just because it's so unprecedented in that way. Um, you'd hope that the league could find workarounds. But at the end of the day, the combine, it's interesting. It's just, it's, it's, it's really peculiar situation. And I, I don't know how it's going to affect the draft class that much, if at all. I mean, it obviously will have an effect as to how some players are scouted. So I don't know. You might not see some immediate talent. I, I don't know. It, it's a really perplexing situation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's kind of con- it's it's. We'll just have to see how it goes. Really, I mean, I have faith in the Seahawks. I like. I think that's one thing I can say. They there's not often where they draft somebody. And I'm like, ah, we were right. It was a bad pick. Malik McDowell. <clears throat> I said I never said it. I never said they were perfect. Okay. Oh no, it. I'm just saying he's a guy that. Todd Penny. Well, he's not done yet. I guess. <laughs> I hope but you have know, to. I think the Seahawks will be able to make the right decision with the what they've seen about a player so far. Like I was wrong about uh, Jordan Brooks. I'll admit that. I'll say that. I still don't think he's what we needed like last year, but he was definitely needed, and I was wrong about that. So I can say that. And then. We got a good DK was also a smart grab too. So I, I trust, I have trust. Yeah. Not a lot, but I have it a little bit. Just hmm. Yeah. No, I always think I always, and I mean, obviously we're not general managers. So, I mean, I always, at least with Schneider, I've always been a fan of Schneider mm-hmm. and what he's done. Uh, and the staff has done uh, with drafting for the most part. Um, so, yeah, I always kind of leave it to them and I always have faith in, uh, him and sometimes Pete. Pete. Uh, Pete's not on my good side right now. Um, and the team signed the following players to reserve future contracts, which I kind of spoke about earlier when I looked at the free agency class. Uh, the following uh, were John, wide receivers John Arsua, wide receiver Aaron Fuller, wide receiver Penny Hart, and wide receiver Cody Thompson. Quarterbacks Danny Etling and Alex Magoo. Tight end Tyler Mabry. Uh, tackle Tommy Champion. Center Brad Lundblade. Defensive tackle Cedric Lattimore, who got some playing time in that Rams game. Uh, and cornerbacks Gavin Heslop and former uh, Washington Husky Jordan Miller. Uh, so, you know, wonder if we'll see any of those guys make a, an impact next year. Um, 
John Arturo was a guy that Pete Carroll talked a lot about going into this season, and then he didn't do anything. I don't know if he just got beat out by Freddie Swain, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, looking ahead, we don't have any more season review to look forward to, but there was an article from CBS about what steps to take to fix the current Seahawks, and those steps were to protect Russell with O-line upgrades, which – I think it's, I don't you know I don't know what other what positions you can really upgrade. I think Dwayne Brown, you're solid there. Left guard, I could agree with. Center, I thought Ethan Pochich played well, but it depends on what kind of contract he wants to sign now. Uh, Damian Lewis, I don't think you need to upgrade him. And then right tackle, Brandon Shell played well, I thought, uh, when he was healthy. So I mean, the only really positions I think you could really look at upgrades are would be left guard and center and. Center, I'm not really a hundred percent saying you need a, a an upgrade with uh, rebuild pass rush. I don't know what you mean by rebuild right now. I mean, I think you've got some good pieces, so you could add some pieces. I don't know about rebuilding. Love up the secondary. I would understand that. I mean, if you could get a corner there, I think if you could get it, go out and get a solid corner uh, to pair with DJ Reed, and depending on what Shaq Griffin wants uh contract wise you know i don't think i think you're fine at safety i think you're fine at nickel uh with both marquise blair and ugo amadi excuse me but cornerback certainly a position you could probably look at an upgrade with upgrade the tight end position i agree with just because i mean i'm a fan of will disley but you know he uh you know i think uh if you could add a like a, a an upgrade at the tight end position it would add a whole another dimension uh because i mean the last sort of playmaking tight end we had was, I mean, Will Disley when he was healthy his first two years. Um, note when I, I said when he was healthy. Uh, and when they used Jimmy Graham correctly, because they didn't use him correctly all of his years. So don't, I don't really, you know, I don't put the whole 100% on Jimmy Graham uh, for not having success, uh, a ton of success here in Seattle. And then add a reliable running back. That's, you know, if you can add a reliable running back, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about injuries, but Chris Carson has had his his stints. Same with Rashad Penny, who Bennett already spoke on. So, you know, uh, that's. I mean, what do you do? You have any thoughts on that, guys? Um, Honestly, it sounds pretty accurate. Oh, go ahead, Bennett. No, you you, you got it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really see running back as a as a slight. Slight, slight, tiny, just a tad bit of a hole in the Seahawks. And I feel like that it's, I don't know what we can do though. Like, I don't see anything we can really do besides just get lucky at this point. I don't really know exactly what moves we can make to really like secure. Like, a, I was talking to Chuck about this earlier, and it's like the Seahawks are never a team of superstars. Uh, what was it you said? They're just like, well-placed players. A lot of them play their roles pretty well. Yeah, it's not like role. they're big household names all the time. Right. It would be nice to get that at some point. You know, that would be cool just to, like, relax a little bit. But, you know, uh, honestly, all those points that the CPS article brings up, is they're all accurate. Those are all things we really need to fix. The offensive line to protect Russ in some areas and then just get a good back, a reliable injuries. That's what I would say our Seahawks' biggest problem are, honestly. Because if we didn't go through running backs the way that we did, I feel like we would have been way better off. But the fact that we were going through them the way that we were was really the big problem with that. 
Uh, yeah, no, it's between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. It's like, you know, having consistency is really important, especially when how much, how much those injuries um, at the running back position really impacted uh, last year's uh, end of the season. So Bennett, you, did you have words on that? Not, not really. I, I just think some of their points are valid, but I think to me right now, the biggest thing is coaching. Yeah. And I've been on, I, I've been on that train all year. Uh, <laughs> ASMR Bennett. Mike. I've been on that. We need to get better coaches train all year. And honestly, looking back on it, it's really not Schottenheimer who was the problem. So it's a shame that he left. Um, and it's a shame that we signed Pete Carroll to such a lofty extension uh, without seeing the end of this season. Because if we don't sign that extension midseason, there there is a very real question of do we still sign it if if we are going to look at him, look extending him by week 16. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Would you? I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have extended him at the middle of the year, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting interesting point yeah. to do it. Um I just I don't I don't think I don't think it's uh I think if you want to look at personnel, you gotta look at the coaches and you don't you don't really I think the players are not um exactly where you want to start looking quite yet i think extensions are the most important thing right after coaching yeah i would i would agree with those points so that is our gridiron football team uh bees bowl uh the mariners signed deals with uh shortstop jp crawford excuse me catcher tom murphy and pitcher rafael montero uh, the team brought on former pitcher Hisashi Iwakuma as a special assignment coach. I know he sent me that, and he was excited about that. Um, so good to see Iwakuma back. I remember kind of wondering what happened to him. One of my um, all-time favorite Mariners. It's all, it was always fun too to see the uh, the the bear hat nights, the little uh, yeah, the little pandas. I miss my baseball team. I miss being at the ballpark. Um, and then other notes around the league, uh, MLB commissioner Rob Manfred has informed teams that they should begin to plan for a spring training start in February and the full 162 game slate. So we should have pitchers and catchers reporting in mid uh, February, pardon me, uh, which is exciting. I don't know. It's, uh, I was supposed to be a training camp last year and then this obviously all happened. So, you know, things change. Um, the MLB is also planning to have fans in the stadiums in 2021, saying in a memo that teams should socially distance fans with masks, but vaccination will not be required. Um, so, you know, it looks like the league wants to have fans back. I'm sure they want to make some of that revenue back that they didn't get last year. Um, the league is still also working on rule changes for 2021, wanting to keep seven inning double headers and a runner on second base for extra innings in 2021. So, more if you didn't like those rules, uh, you might have to suck it up for another year. I guess they are making a return. Uh, Manfred seems to like that. Uh, Sanders news, not the best Sanders news. Uh, star Jordan Morris is expected to sign on loan with Juan C. City. He could join them as soon as last week. Uh, I don't know if either of you watch soccer, but it's basically we're losing a really good young guy. 
to go play across the skis, which tends to happen who two young guys who are stars in the MLS, they tend to go and play for better clubs across the, uh, across the pond as they'd say it. Um, so that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it sucks for the team. <laughs> it is better than your Pedro Pascal impression. I, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 pardon me. What was I saying? I mean, it, it's, it sucks for the team, but it's probably the best thing in the long run to let them go do that. Cause with a lot of these MLS guys, they want to go and, you know, play and improve and play against harder competition in, in Europe and other, uh, other leagues. So, I mean, it sucks, but it's cool to see the kid from Mercer Island go and play. Uh, I, I'm, I don't want to say a more meaningful, but uh, play in a, a different league um, with perhaps better talent. Uh, the team did sign Federal Way native Kellen Rowe. He's a 29-year-old midfielder and has spent most of his nine-year career with New England Revolution. And perhaps the most positive information is that midfielder Joe Paolo is expected to be staying in Seattle. So there's that. Uh, I have no storm news. No so- Oh, actually, the team did... I don't know this term, but the team cored Natasha Howard, and I believe that's like a franchise tag or like it was a confusing thing. But it it allows Alicia Clark to hit free agency, but I don't think they let Alicia Clark uh, go anywhere. Uh, No Sonics news, obviously. No Kraken news yet. Uh, No Dragons news until I think later this year. Uh, UW Athletics football Husky D lineman Josiah Bronson announced that he will enter the 2021 NFL draft. He's a 6'3", 200-pound, 300-pound, pardon me, D lineman from Kent, lovely Kent. Uh, and his career stats are 29 games played, 25 solo tackles, 17 assisted, three sacks, and one fumble recovered. So not necessarily a most decorated uh, career, but, you know, it's always good to see uh, Huskies go on to play in the NFL. I know neither of these guys give a rat's behind about that. Uh, oh, boy, the okay. basketball, the lovely Utah basketball teams. The men lost to USC 95 to 68 and UCLA 81 to 76. Yay. Uh, against USC, Eric Stevenson led in scoring with 16. Against UCLA, Quake Green led with 25 rebounds versus USC. Nate Roberts led with eight. And Hamir Wright led against USCA, UCLA with seven. And assists, uh, Nate Roberts led versus USC with three. And UCLA, Quake Green led with five. Teams, it's a one and 11. And we'll play Colorado on January 20th and Utah January 24th. Uh, Women's, the women have not played a game in a decent amount of time because of postponements, Uh, but they are slated to play against Oregon State at home January 22nd. They are four and five, but they are also, oh, no, they're 11th in the Pac-12, not 12th, 11th. So someone is worse. So. That's the only positive takeaway, I guess, from the basketball teams. This was a long episode, um, and we had to get over the season uh, for the Seahawks, cry about it a little bit, be happy about some things. But, you know, that is it. Uh, we should have a off-season sort of breakdown next week. Um, I mean, there's not much to look forward to until then. But uh, until Tuesday, uh, it has been the lovely three men here uh, talking about sports, perhaps swearing a few times, and – saying across the pond in a weird way. So I want to thank all of you, the lovely 12 uh, consistent listeners that we get. And we will see you all on Tuesday. Guys fucking rock. Watch your mouth.
Okay. Baba Booey.